Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode four on our study of Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. Tommy, it's great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. It's been a great book to go through. I don't know about you, but it's been one of those books that have forced me to open up that veil between my heart and my spirit and my mind. You know, that disconnect that comes between what we actually think and the reality of what is really taking place. And to see myself or to see how I am seen through the eyes of God, the reality of that is earth shattering. It, 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 the way that Brennan ends this chapter, and I'm going to just jump into that very last part of this chapter, this chapter, we're in chapter four. He says, getting honest with ourselves does not make us unacceptable to God. It does not distance us from God, but draws us to him as nothing else can and opens us anew to that flow of grace. The question of the gospel of grace puts to us so simply is this, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? And what are you afraid of? And then he continues and brings that chapter to a close. The gospel of grace calls out, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we got to be convinced of that. We've got to trust that. We must never forget to remember everything else will pass away, but this love of God surpasses all. It does, John. And I think everyone would benefit from Romans 8. That chapter in Romans is absolutely a defining chapter about the love of God the way that uh, God in his redemptive plan gave us Jesus. You know, we just celebrated Easter. And the significance of Easter in itself is proof of the love of God. Yeah, it is. He separated himself from his only son for our benefit. You know, if you look at the thread from Genesis to Revelation, you ask the question, what holds the tenor of Scripture together? Or you look at specific uh, books like Lamentations, a book of fear, a book of sorrow, a book of lament, to the book of Philippians, which is a book of joy, what holds them together? And that thread that holds everything together is the love of God. The love of God holds it all together. In Romans 8, Tommy, is my absolute favorite chapter in the Bible, beginning with, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we who have been approaching God for so long, whether we're in the church, on the margins, peeking in through the windows from the outside, and have been fearful that once we step into this closer relation or we journey down further of our faith maturation— that God is going to condemn us, shake his bony finger at us, look with uh, scorn and uh, disgust at us, this has to be thrown out from our minds. This, this is a message of Satan that tries to convince us that we have to earn our place in God's kingdom. Exactly. One of the things that I've had the pleasure of understanding is I have a good friend that had introduced me to the 12 Steps program, right? And alcohol, and it has nothing to do with just basically alcohol, but it, it can go into any addictive 
situation is step number four. And that's taking that moral inventory of one's life. And it's not it's not in a in a way to damn us, but it's a way to be honest with ourselves, to understand the failures and the successes that we've had in life, and to come to an understanding of it. It's okay. Being broken again makes us alive. Right. You know, we go through scripture, and you and I were just talking about the book of Luke, and where Luke absolutely defines that Jesus absolutely knocked everyone off of their pedestal. He spent a tremendous amount of time with the with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the the scourge of the earth, if you would. And why? Why did he do that? The Pharisees continuously, why did you have dinner with this tax collector? Why did you do this? Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous right. to seek and to save the lost. You know, there's something interesting in that, that uh, that one verse to seek and save the lost. I love that that Jesus came not only to seek, but to save. There are a lot of people out there, including ourselves, we do this to ourselves, who are pointing fingers and seeking out the wrong in us. Absolutely. They're pointing out the, with our fingers and saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And and we do it to ourselves. Uh, that, you know, I've, well, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I reacted incorrectly there, or I have shame of what I did and unsure of what people are going to think about me tomorrow. We do that to ours. We, we seek out those things. But here's Jesus coming onto the scene. And when he steps onto the scene, his mission is not just to point the finger, but to also save us. You see this in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees bring the uh, woman caught in adultery, threw him at Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus said to the people around, hey, any one of you who is without sin, you can cast the first stone. <laughs> Unbeknownst to them, Jesus was the only one who was who fit that category, right? But after everybody left, Jesus compassionately said, who is condemning you? No one, sir. Then neither do I. Now, sin no more. Exactly. The idea is just not, hey, come into this compassion and find us, but it is that transformation that we talked about in Richard Foster's book, Life Transformation. This is life transforming of us, this gospel of grace. Absolutely. One of the things that interested me is he says in on page 79, the deeper we grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ, the poorer we become. The more we realize that everything in life is a gift. That resonates to me to suggest that this is even more of a reason we need to really examine our lives and understand who we really are. And it goes back to the title of this chapter, Tilted Halos. And please bear with me. In the beginning of this chapter, he suggests a man walks into the doctor's office and says, Doctor, I have this awful headache that never leaves me. Could you please give me something for it? I will, said the doctor, but I want to check you out before I do that. Tell me, do you drink a lot of liquor? Absolutely not. I never touch the filthy stuff. How about smoking? I think smoking is disgusting. Well, I'm a little embarrassed to ask you this, but at night, do you do any running around? 
absolutely not. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock every night. Well, tell me, said the doctor, the pain in your head you speak of, is it sharp shooting kind of pain? Yes, said the man, that's it, sharp shooting pain. Simple, my dear fellow. Your trouble is your halo is too tight. All you need to do is loosen it a bit. Now, what he's saying is there's a lot of us that walk around and we think we're better than we really are. We don't have a good idea of who we really are. And I think that little little introduction tells us a lot about society. And you just mentioned a while ago, we go around pointing our finger at somebody else and we don't look in the log in our own eye. The old adage is when you point your finger at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So again, we're all human and we all have frailties. But I think if we understand who we really are and that the celebration of Easter is God's redemptive plan, and Romans 8 spells it out so well, the love of God. Buddy Cooper just left, and I know one of his favorite songs is the love of God. It's a great reminder. We, yeah. we've, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the squeamish love of God, how squeamish we are towards it. We gravitate towards the power of God, God's sovereignty, God's almighty, but we push back on the idea that maybe it could be true that God actually does love me. He writes here in in the book on page 79, he talks about that halo. Our halo gets too tight and carefully disguises our attitude of to moral superiority, and that becomes the result. Because our halo's too tight, because we think, well, I'd never do that, we elevate our own superiority. And then he writes, and we're appalled by our inconsistency. We're devastated that we haven't lived up to our lofty expectations of ourselves and that roller coaster ride of elation and depression of being good enough and having and not feeling good enough. And, and all of this is because we have never laid hold of our nothingness before God. And consequently, we never enter into that deepest reality of our relationship with him. So what we are invited to throughout Scripture, from the message of the Old Testament, the Gospels, the writings of the New Testament, is an acceptance of ownership of our powerlessness, of our helplessness. And that happens when we acknowledge that we are just paupers at the door of God's mercy. Then God can and will do something beautiful out of us. It's, it's those moments when we release our own pride, our own ability, our own accolades. And as we said last week, we approach the cross on our knees on level ground. It's at those moments that we are able to see and recognize and receive the message that God finds no condemnation in us, that we are men and women, boys and girls who are forgiven. I love what he says here. We do not repent to get forgiveness. We repent because we're forgiven. That's a beautiful message. We do not repent to get forgiveness. We repent because we are forgiven. The message of the gospel is a forgiveness because of Easter, because of the empty tomb. The message of the gospel 
is a forgiveness that has already been declared in heaven. Not something that is available to be given. It's already done. And now we approach that. And as Brendan Manning says, we position ourselves in such a way that we need that forgiveness. And it comes to realizing honestly about ourselves, who we are. We're nothing. We can't do it on our own. No. We're, not, we're not sinners saved by works. We're sinners saved by grace. Exactly. One thing that I remember from last week's is Manning suggests that we should imitate Christ in everything that we do. He says one way to keep our relationship with others, as Jesus did, is say to yourself, that person is perfect in Christ. And that's what Jesus was doing in the Gospel of Luke. When the whole Gospel of Luke is, is really centered around the poor, the needy, and he spent a, a tremendous amount of time with them. I think we have to adjust our perspective on others as they are perfect in Christ. They are children of Christ and accept them as they are because God accepts us as we are. We don't have to be perfect to understand that he loves us. That's one of the beauties of grace is he loves us just as we are. We don't have to do anything. It's a gift. You know, I I think often of Jesus walking uh, down the roads of Jericho or Bethany or in the, you know, the, where we went in, when we went to Israel, we, we walked some of the places that Jesus walked and, and visited some of the places and, uh, that Jesus did like Capernaum or the Sea of Galilee or where he did the Beatitudes and stuff like that. And, and I wonder, I often wonder what the disciples, you know, were understanding at that moment was Jesus modeled for them, God's love for the world through him, through the incarnate Christ. And with their understanding, I mean, did they think that love was centered around uh, a feeling of goodwill? Did loving your neighbor mean that you're going to be nice or you're going to take them pies or you're just going to wave? Did they understand love as just a wave of greeting, a hello or whatnot? All these things, you know, as Jesus, through these three years of ministry, these, these disciples were watching it. And then at the beginning of that ministry in the upper room where Jesus is with his disciples, John gives us a little bit of glimpse into the background of what Jesus was thinking when he began that, that uh, private ministry. And he says in John 13, 1, now before the feast of Passover had begun, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father, and he says, having loved his own, he's, he's expressed this love. But it, John gives us a glimpse here that the disciples did not yet fully understand it. So in one sense, I give myself a little permission to still grow and believe and to be honest with myself that I just might not fully understand. I might not have it all together when it comes to God's love. I'm still living into this. I hope we all are doing that too. But then John says, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or as one translation says, he showed them the full extent of his love. He showed them the full extent of his love. And who were in that room? 
You had the 12 disciples. And guess what? Judas was in there too. Judas was in there too. He became a recipient of this love. He was given a place of honor beside him. He, I mean, this is, this is a beautiful imagery of the extent of God's love for us. And an invitation, Tommy, that we continually be looking for those glimpses of God's love all around us. Everything is a gift. He suggests in, in this chapter is sometimes I get so involved with myself that I start making demands for things I think I deserve, or I take for granted every gift that comes my way. That I deserve it. That I deserve it. And the classic example he points out is a guy in a restaurant, and I've experienced this before in my life, uh, a guy in a restaurant, and he orders crab salad. And mistakenly, the waitress brings shrimp salad. Livid, the angry man roars, where the hell is my crab salad? Somehow life owes him crab salad. He takes for granted not only the shrimp salad, but so many other gifts, life, faith, family, friends, and talents. Oh, my gosh. How we get into that moment of, I deserve this. I am owed something better. It is due to me. Right. And if we would just stop and think that by the grace of God, we take the next breath. We have a beautiful day. And that's a gift from God. So that's what we need. We need to focus on the love of God for us as we are. And everything in life is a gift. And by the grace of God, we are saved. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful concept of grace. And we don't deserve anything. Tommy, you're exactly right when it comes to the grace of God. And the lack of grace that we are willing to offer to someone else, the feeling that we're due, that we're owed something, like the man who mistakenly was given the wrong order. What if we think that that's the way God is towards us? As false as that is, that can drive us, can it? That we think that God says, well, I'm owed or I'm due. And, and now we feel like we have to perform, that it's all about these works. And then we become afraid on the inside. Are we doing enough? We're becoming a little skittish on the inside in thinking that God's grace might just not be enough. And we become a little bit deceptive on the inside thinking that, well, God might not love me because of this or that. I return back to the question that we began this episode and how Brennan Manning ends this chapter. He says, the question the gospel of grace puts to us is simply this, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? And then he makes this list on page 87. Are you afraid that your weakness could separate you from the love of Christ? It can't. Are you afraid that your inadequacies could separate you from the love of Christ? They can't. Are you afraid that your inner poverty could separate you from the love of Christ? It can't. Difficult marriage, loneliness, anxiety over the children's future? They can't. A negative self-image? It can't. 
economic hardship, racial hatred, street crime, they can't. Rejection by loved ones or the suffering of loved ones, they can't. Persecution by authorities going to jail, they can't. Mistakes, fears, uncertainties, they can't. The gospel of grace calls out nothing. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God made possible in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question I leave for those who are listening today and for us, Tommy, is this. Are we convinced of that? Are we convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God? I agree. May God hold you in the palm of his hand this week and remind you that you are his and he is yours. And may the love of God be revealed to you in some magnificent and special way today. God bless.